electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Peak inflation frustration. The CPI blaring red hot. Is the bear bounce now dead? Are the May lows back in focus? We discuss and debate all of that with the investment committee this hour. Joining me today, Josh Brown, Brenda Vangelo, Pete Nigerian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. With me right here on sets, Jim Labenthal. I'll take you to the wall. I'll show you what's going on. Carl just told you, worst back-to-back days for the S&P in two years, down 5%. Dow's down 750 uh, right now. Yields ripping today. The two years at three. The 10 years at 315. Jim Labenthal, as I said, is sitting right here with me. And naturally, I'm going to you first because you're the one who's been just saying everything's pretty good. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not even going to yeah, say anything yeah, yeah. snarky to you. I'm just going to oh. give you the ball and let you do whatever you do. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Scott. I appreciate the way you're setting that up. I do. Uh, look, I'm not feeling good today, right? How could I? If I were feeling good today, I think you'd have to check my temperature. Um, this does not upend the long-term thesis in terms of what 2023 brings in terms of supply chain onshoring. And by the way, the Fed will be mostly done, probably all done by that point in time. But listen, deep breath here. This is going to be lousy right now for a little while. There's no way to get out uh, out of the way of this thing. I do not think this is a time to sell stocks, okay? I'm not saying that the stock market can't go lower. Of course it can go lower, and frankly, probably will. But I think if you're selling stocks today, you're making a bet that you know when you're going to get back in and that it's going to be at a meaningfully lower price than it is today. It might be a little bit lower. I don't think it's going to be meaningful lower. This is five months now that we've been pricing in higher inflation. The disappointment Yes, they still keep coming in, but you've got to note where stock prices are. And my recommendation to the people who are watching is this is not a time to sell stocks. Yes, I am looking forward into 2023. And yes, I'm telling you the next few weeks aren't going to be pretty. But you've been looking closer than just 2023. I mean, you've you've maintained that everything is pretty good in 2022. You said the consumer's strong. We're not having a recession. This is nothing but a correction. You've made that point. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you're coming back to me, and I'm sorry I'm jumping in on you because it allows me to make the point that I would like to make. Um, There is a lot of talk about people saying we're in a recession right now, Scott. I know you're fielding those those comments, too. Um, Here's the thing. Yeah, the first quarter GDP was negative and we're looking pretty flat this quarter. GDP, excuse me, recessions are defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research as a widespread economic decline that lasts several months. If you've been out in the economy anywhere, I I defy you to show me where there's an economic decline. You've got jobless claims, continuing claims at a very, very low level, which means that as initial claims come in, which are still at a low level, people are finding jobs elsewhere. You've got ISM surveys well above 50. You've got real retail sales still growing. Yes, 
Walmart and Target have a margin issue, but one company's expenses is another company's revenue. The main point that I'm driving at right now is the economy is still strong. And yes, the Fed will raise rates and we may well talk ourselves into a recession. I heard the CEO of uh, Snowflake on overtime last night, Scott, saying exactly the same thing. We can talk ourselves into a recession, but it's not the base case, not for me, nor does it have to be. Okay. Um, your end of year 22 S&P target, and I'll get to everybody in just a second, but I want to follow this line of questioning for a second if I could, is 48 what? 48.96. 48.96. All right. So we're 4,900. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um, and you're sticking to that. So that's yeah. 1,000 points higher than where we are now. Yep. Amid everything that's going on, um, how? Yeah. So, again, thank you for coming back to me because you're allowing me to get this all out. It feels like I'm throwing up, but you know what? Thank you. Um, here's the well, answer. I don't want to hold you in contempt of the show, so I keep coming back to you. So go ahead. <laughs> all right. How? Um, yeah, we get this. We get all this bad news over right now, Scott, this quarter and next quarter. Uh, earnings revisions, get the Fed done with what it needs to do. When you look into 2023, which is where the earnings are that the end of year price target on the S&P 500 is based, I don't see those earnings estimates coming down because the long-term supply chain onshoring programs that are in place, semiconductor plants being built, batteries uh, for EVs being built, new mines, whether it's uranium, whether it's lithium, which is actually evaporation, not mines, whether it's rare earths, those pro projects are not going to be upset so, by the Fed going to 3% instead of 2.5%. So, so you, you think that plus 10% earnings for 22 and plus 10% for 23 are sensible? Let me be very specific, because I did say in recent weeks that the 2022 numbers are coming down. The 2023 numbers do not have to and should not come but down. You've so made the they, but you made the argument that the 22 numbers are coming down, but barely. Correct. But, but that's because they haven't come down enough yet, because the people who are taking them down or responsible for taking them down have been irresponsible in not taking them down to this point. And now they've waited too long when it's seemingly obvious to everybody else. Well, look, you're the judge. You can make a judgment that they've been irresponsible. I'm going to report the well, facts to you. I'm going to give you the obvious evidence. obvious that earnings I, estimates uh, need to come down, isn't, isn't it, it? It is not obvious. It's obvious to me that certain sectors, like, for instance, retail, has to come down. But as I said a minute ago, and this is an important point, it's coming down because their margins are going down. Their margins are going down because their expenses are going up. The fact that their expenses are going up means somebody else in the supply chain is making money. All right. It's somebody else's revenues. So first off, when we look at what the aggregate estimates are, and now I'm just presenting evidence to the court, they continue to go up. Is that irresponsible? Is it inaccurate? I mean, time will tell. Well, it Scott, sounds but, delusional. Uh, but you said that three months ago. Same word. <laughs> three months ago. I was right three months ago and I'm right now. Uh, well, are you right? Because so far the estimates continue to go up. And by the way, the results came in for the first quarter. And the quarter same people who expected. continue to raise them are as delusional as they were three months ago. Again, you're, wel you're welcome to make a judgment. I'm going to make a different judgment. That's fine. Only time will tell. So, Pete Najarian, you you've seen a lot of put buying today, right, uh, throughout yes. the S&P. Why don't yep. you take me through uh, what you've seen and how you feel? All right. Well, we will start with uh, what I'm seeing. We've seen incredible amounts of puts being bought across may, uh, many, many of the, uh, the major indices. The spider specifically, Scott, we had a buyer of 11,000 of the August 31st puts. 
and, and in the XLF, but the spider, 30,000 of the July 377 calls, uh, puts rather, were getting bought. And then, not too long after that, while I was talking to the producers, Patty, 100,000 of the June 345 puts were being purchased. The XBI, when you look at biotech, 6,000 of those. That's not nearly as big, but you get the idea. There are some buyers out there. They are buying in size and looking for more either downside or trying to find some way to get a little bit of, uh, of protection to the downside. But I would say this, Scott, uh, you guys were having that conversation. I was listening to it very closely. I would say this about what's going on in the market. The other day when I was on, we were talking about what was influencing the markets in what direction. And mm -hmm. you guys were pointing out that oil was making a move. I disagree with that being the influencer. I think the influencer's been the 10-year, continues to be the 10-year. 10-year goes above three, they start selling. 10-year goes below three, the buyers come back. And today, what we're seeing is the velocity of the two-year. You know, it was just the very end of May where the two-year was trading below two and a half, and today we're back over three. So you can understand why we are seeing so much pressure on the markets right now. And until we see something change in that dynamic, I think that's a bit of a, you know, it's going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with. And it continues to be something. We talk about CPI all the time. I remember hearing peak uh, for inflation a while back. That's not been the case. I remember transitory before that. That's not the case. We are in a position right now where it's very, very difficult to navigate because of the fact that it's across so many different sectors, but specifically energy and food, where you're looking at the major causes of what we're seeing right now and why we're seeing CPI at 40-year highs. Mm -hmm. So Goldman's Jan Hatzius now says Fed goes 50 in September. That's up from a prediction of 25. So at least according to Goldman, 50-50-50, that's what's coming. And the, it's not just the Fed, right? And a large part of the sell-off yesterday can be blamed, if you want to use the word blamed, on what the ECB had to say, right? They're raising rates yeah. next month. And they also said, pretty frankly, that they may go even stronger than expect expectations in September if inflation remains as bad as it is. And there are no indications that it's not going to. That's just the hard facts. So, Josh Brown, what do you you've been pretty negative on the market. What do you think today, given this print? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to try to put this as succinctly as possible and repeat things I've been saying all year. But this is really important. People who are focusing on the earnings are missing the point. It's not the earnings. We've had many, many bear markets, especially during the late 60s and mid 70s, where stocks got killed and earnings were relatively OK. Do you know why earnings estimates aren't falling? Because everything costs more. The consumer is not stupid. The consumer is pissed right now. That's the national mood. The University of Michigan survey, yes. uh, Consumer Confidence Survey Record just low. hit the lowest it's been since Ever. the mid 70s. It's 50 50.2. Yeah. You don't see that outside of a depression. No, terrible. You could tell me about the earnings. Or, let, let, me, let, me, let me talk unimpeded for two more seconds. You could say whatever you want about earnings estimates being fine. That's because everything costs more. You have to spend more money than you had to six months for the same crap that you're buying. How do you not understand that? And this idea that, well, the consumer is still spending. They have no choice. They have no choice. So listen, this is not complex. 
We've been in a bear market since the spring when we broke below the 200-day moving average. We had the yield curve inversion right around the same time. It may not be a technical recession today for the consumer. They feel like it's a recession, and you see that everywhere you look. So I understand that unemployment, headline unemployment is good and people could find jobs and that's great. But if their cost of living is rising in excess of what they're making at their job for them, it feels like a recession. And that's what that consumer sentiment is, mm -hmm. is telling you like a Vegas marquee. Okay. Now, now, it's not the end of the world. And we've seen things like this before. In fact, if you look at the 1973, 1974 bear market, Earnings only declined 14%, but the stock market was down 48%. If you look at 1968 to 1970 bear market, 37% down in stocks, but earnings only fell 12%. So this is possible. So don't focus on the E and don't worry about is it a recession, when it is a recession. It's a bear market. Why do you not expect the market to do what it's doing today? That's how it grinds people down. So, so you've got to not worry about somebody's, some, well, some company's earnings next quarter. Nobody cares. Technicals are telling you this is a bear market and your behavior should match that reality. Stan Druckenmiller, by the way, yesterday at Sohn said, I think this is a quote, I think it's highly, highly probable that the bear market has a ways to run. He talked about the probabilities of a soft landing being pretty remote. And he points to history for that, as many others have as well. Uh, the Fed's track record, obviously, on that front is not good. Once inflation has gone above 5%, said Mr. Druckenmiller, it's never been tamed without a recession. So if you're predicting a soft landing, you're going against decades of history. Brenda, I'll get to you in just a second, but Jim wanted to respond, I think, to what uh, Josh was saying as B of A's Michael Hartnett today says, bear market rally is over. We're in technical recession. We just don't realize it. Yeah. So I don't have Mr. Druckenmiller in front of me, but I do have uh, Josh with me. So, Josh, based on what you're saying, would you recommend selling stocks today? No, I would recommend if you are out here, not a professional trader, not sitting in front of a screen all day and not with the ability to be nimble, stop playing this game. You are going to chop yourself up every time somebody tells you such and such is going to have solid earnings. It's not going to help. So here, here's what you can do and be very practical. First things first, tighten up the time frame on the trades that you're making. Second, don't go into anything without a predetermined stop loss. I talked about a short-term trade in FedEx. I know exactly where the market tells me I'm wrong, and that's where I'll be out of that. That is the way that you have to comport yourself in this market. If you're a longer-term investor, this is not an environment for you to be uh, picking through 8Ks and, 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 and trying to understand uh, whether or not Wall Street's estimates are a penny high or a penny low for next quarter. None of that kind of behavior is going to help in this environment. So I think long-term investors need to remind themselves there are periods of time where the market does not reward fundamentals and does what it's going to do. And if they're not going to be in here every day, they shouldn't be in here at all. Be long, have so, your asset so allocation, be what's diversified. Be is, diversified. Yeah. Go ahead. So, and listen, this is going to sound like I'm picking a fight with you, but I'm not. You and I look at the markets very differently, and we know that. We've been doing this many years, all right? You, basically, you and I disagree on everything 
accept the conclusion. All right. I think earnings matter. I think fundamentals matter. I love 8Ks. I love looking for the value in the, in the debris of what's going on. How but is that con- working out for you this summer? Now, don't, look, if you want to pick a fight, fine. I'm giving you something to work with here, which is that both of us come to the same conclusion that for long-term investors, this is not a time to be selling stocks. Well, the problem with that is, as some would suggest, is that the time for selling stocks has passed. Now it's too late. Okay. But the problem with that is depends because on the, some depends have, on the stock. <laughs> because well, right. But but some, and I, I don't mean to be a, a, offensive in the way I say this. I I, I really don't. I, I'm with you. Keep going. Um, because some have listened to people like you who say yep. everything is fine and the market's going to 4,800, 4,900. So they stayed, and now it's too late to sell. So they're forced to hang on and feel bad because the reality of the situation seems to be i'm really trying i'm really trying well look everybody knows where you're going scott everybody knows where you're going much worse than 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 you suggest look investing isn't easy i appreciate that you're not trying to throw a knockout blow i appreciate it all right but here's the basic truth investing isn't easy and the three years that ended ended december 31st 2021 made people think it was easy oh you just throw stocks at the fang or money at the fangs you just throw money at stocks that are splitting you just throw money at gamestop no that's not how it works if you do your work if you do your analysis then you can get through periods like this like i am getting through feeling comfortable that the value is there and it will be realized. It's just a question of time. I was buying back into this market in late March. Clearly, that was the wrong time. Clearly, I was early. But it doesn't make me look at the situation right now and say I was wrong. It's just a matter of time until the value comes through. So I'm not backing off of any recommendation either on the markets or individual stocks. Okay, Brenda, I apologize that I haven't gotten to you sooner. Um, I hope you'll accept that. But what is your view, uh, given what you heard and, and what you came prepared to say today? Yeah, I think today is a particularly frustrating day because I think when we look at the the components within CPI, there's just some things that don't jive with other economic data we got. For example, if you were to look at um, industrial production numbers, it showed that vehicle production had picked up, um, yet it's not flowing through in terms of what we would think would be more supply uh, driving prices lower. Um, and then we're seeing categories like food, you know, increasing significantly at more than 10% year over year. It was the highest increase since 1981. And that, that impacts everybody and certainly impacts the consumer. So I think there is, um, you know, just reiteration of this confusing environment that we're in. And some of the signs related to things like food um, are troubling, I think, for the consumer overall. Uh, but I do think to this conversation uh, between um, Josh and Jim, you know, if you are a long-term investor, I think this isn't a bad moment, especially to pick off some of the companies that really have very strong fundamentals that have been navigating through this environment thus far. And if you have a long-term time horizon, I think you will be rewarded over the long term for that. All right. Let's welcome in our, our headliner today. We're so happy to have Jeremy uh, Siegel with us, the professor from the Wharton School. Uh, professor, it's great to have you on a day like this. And I guess my first question would be, did the bear market rally just die today? Well, <laughs> As, as one of your guests said, I think we're closer to the lows than the highs. And, you know, it's interesting. It, it, the S&P is not yet in a bear market. I'm not saying it won't get there, but it's like certainly NASDAQ is in a bear market. But listen to what Josh quoted 
percentage declines far greater than we've had today. Uh, I think largely earnings will be met. And that means stocks are selling. S&P is selling at 17 times earnings. S&P X Tech is selling at 13 to 14 times earnings. You rarely see it that low. I mean, you saw it at 10 times earnings when interest rates were 15 percent. Yes, I, I actually think there the market is already discounting a recession in 2023. It's being priced Jeremy, to Jeremy. that level today. I'm I'm, yes. so, I'm so sorry. The average the average recessionary correction since World War II, and I'm using your data, is negative 31 percent. How can you seriously right. say that we're already pricing in a recession? Well, I think we're pricing in a mild recession. Um, uh, don't forget that included some whopper recessions that we had, uh, uh, the financial crisis, uh, and and of course when we came off of the tech bubble where the market was far more overvalued than we had today. Um, I, you know, I'm not saying how severe the recession actually will be. And, and also, Josh, we're in a much lower interest rate world than we were back then. I mean, uh, again, there is no con- even with the Fed. All right. So the Fed raises a three, three and a half. Is that real competition for a real asset, which is stocks where uh, you know, the dividend yield on dividend yield is actually three or four percent in history shows that that absolutely moves with inflation. So you're getting a real return. I mean, that's so much different than the world where you could get real rates think, of four and five percent um, back. Uh, I, I think in, that's in a great point. I think that's a great point. But I think I think that's a great point. But, uh, Jeremy, when you see. When you see the types of high dividend yielding sectors, X energy. So let's just take REITs, for example. It's great to have, have a 4% nominal dividend yield, even in a, uh, in a, if inflation is 8%, which I don't think anyone thinks is a long term. But OK, 4%. But if you could wipe out five years worth of dividends in one bad week of trading via capital depreciation in the value of the asset, um, the second time you don't go back in. You, and, and, you, and you're certainly not looking at the nominal dividend rate in volatility. We're, we're a, th- a 30 VIX. So three right. and four well, percent yields are, are not great. Yeah, the Fed is raising real interest rates. And, and the read index has fallen almost the same as, as the S&P from its high. And by the way, it had an incredible run. And actually, in the long run, the read index is amazing. It almost absolutely matches the S&P 500. And, and you know as well as I know, Josh, if you're a long-term investor and you reinvest, actually a period of time when you reinvest at a higher dividend yield, once this is all over, gives you more stock and more wealth than you would have beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're a short-term investor and a trader, this is traumatic. If you're long-term and young and reinvesting your dividends, actually, you should welcome lower stock price. Professor, um, Professor. I agree with that. Let me um, let's do this. If you would not, I just like to take a pause uh, on that uh, poignant note that you just made. Let's just take a quick break. If you wouldn't mind staying with us until the other side, we're back right after this with Professor Jeremy Siegel. Much more ahead. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises with an industry leading on time delivery record and low claims rate. We keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. 
To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We are looking at a sizable sell-off in stocks today. 31,500 is where the Dow is. That's two and a third percent down, two and three quarters for the S&P. Still holding on to 3,900. And that's a key level to watch for the rest of the day. NASDAQ is off three, almost three and a half percent. It's a 400 plus point decline there. 317, the yield on the 10 year note. Professor, so what does all this now do for the Fed? And does it change in any way in your mind what the Fed is going to do next week when they've all but telegraphed, not all but, they have telegraphed 50 basis points? Well, actually, you know, uh, I was listening to Jim Cramer earlier. I absolutely agree they got to take control of this narrative. And what, what I would recommend is what Powell should do is say, listen, we're going to bring forward. We said 50 basis points this month in July. He should bring forward the 50 basis points from July and say we're doing 100 basis points next week. And then we're going to look around and we're going to see how much more we do. I think the economy is cool. I mean, you know, consumer sentiment and we, we see that and he may not have to do much more. Um, but I think he's got to get control of that na- narrative and say, listen, we're not going to dribble out the medicine. Let's take it now. Turn around and, you know, look at see how it affects the economy, what's going on, and then we'll make a further decision. Because I think this, uh, this slow telegraphed approach that we have to tell everyone months in advance what we're going to do months in advance is just not working and certainly hadn't worked over the last year. So if they did that, let's just for argument's sake, suggest that they do. How does the stock market react? Well, I think if, if, if they did that, you would have a huge sell-off and then a rally. I think, hey, they are doing something. Um, they're taking control of the narrative. Um, that's what I think would happen. I think there would be a huge initial sell-off because everyone knee-jerks to the interest rate and then they're going to say, you know, hey, he's bringing it forward and looking around and let's see how much the economy actually does cool. Now, that all said, Scott, I don't he's so deliberate I am so afraid to so-called shock the market that I think that that's a long shot. He's going to do it. But I think that's certainly if I was on, <laughs> on the board and, and Jay Powell, that's what I would do. Well, they are maintaining this view, however fragile it might be that they can engineer a soft-ish landing, right? And that would sort of fly in the face of of that projection. Because if you go 100, um, 
it's going to be hard to still maintain that we can pull this off, that we can so deftly pull this off. Well, you know, listen, as we've talked about, the, the mistakes of the Fed were all made last year and really in late into in 2020 when they provided the government with all the money for this, you know, five trillion dollar COVID fighting package without saying go to the bond market and get it. We'd have the interest rates raise, rise in and we wouldn't have the problem right now. So the, listen, whether he goes 150, 50, that is six weeks apart, there's still going to be a lot of inflation in that pipeline. It's, it's, it doesn't work immediately. We're going to go through that inflation. Do you want to totally slam on the brakes and send us all through the windshield? I don't think so. I think in a way, listen, yeah, we got a lot of money in the system. It's working its way through. By the way, the real inflation we've had over the last year has been more than 10 percent because we know that the housing inflation is way understated from what it actually is because of the methodology of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, actually, Larry Summers just had written a, an NBR paper on that, and I've been talking about that a long time, too. So really, we really had a lot of inflation. More will come through. More will come through on the reports then it'll actually come through in reality. Mm -hmm. We've actually had a lot of it. Hey, Professor, I'm grateful for your time today. Uh, thanks so much for Thank being with us. Thank you very much. Always look forward Absolutely. to our conversations, especially on days like these. That's Professor Jeremy Siegel from the Wharton School. Let's get the headlines now with Leslie Picker. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. With gas prices nearing $5 per gallon, the IRS has raised the tax deduction for business use of cars. The deduction will be raised by $0.04 cents for the second half of the year to $0.62.5 cents per mile. It's very rare for the IRS to adjust the deduction in the middle of the year. In Washington this weekend, thousands of people are expected to attend a March for Our Lives rally. Saturday's march will be accompanied by sister events across the country in New York, Milwaukee, Orlando, and Los Angeles. The March for Our Lives organization was founded by student survivors of the 2018 mass shooting at a high school in Parkland, Florida. And Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is in Singapore meeting with his counterparts from several countries in Asia. During the visit, he reaffirmed the United States' commitment to the longstanding One China policy, discussed the global security issues of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and called on China to refrain from further destabilizing actions toward Taiwan. Busy Friday, Scott. A lot going on. Yep. Back over to All you. right, Leslie, I appreciate that. That's Leslie Picker. Up next, Goldman Sachs slapping a sell rating on three big-name stocks today. All of them are taking a big hit. Josh Brown's own. He owns two of them. Pete owns one as well. We'll debate him in our call of the day next. The Dow is down 757. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
All right, welcome back. Need to talk about Netflix, Roblox, and eBay, all downgraded to sell today at Goldman. The price targets for all three were cut as well. So let's start, Pete, with you and this Netflix call, okay? okay. Uh, again, a cut to sell. Mm -hmm. That's from neutral. The price target goes to 186 from 265. What jumps out to me the most, I think, in your commentary, in the conversations you had with our producers, you think they're right. So what does that mean for your holding? Yeah. Well, you know, it, we've obviously, we've been watching. When I talked about CPI, everybody said it had peaked. It didn't peak when they were talking about that. And actually, we're, we're now seeing inflation as, as where it is continues to go higher, right? So it makes sense because he's talking about the idea that the analyst is talking about the idea that not only is it competitive out there, but... You know, they have to be very selective with their money because we are seeing a bit of a, you know, the consumer recession right now. And, and it's not just in the U.S. He mentions also in Western Europe and other parts of the world and supply chain issues and all the all the different things that we all know are going on. So it does make some sense. And it you know what? Unfortunately, I kind of bought into the idea that maybe we hadn't peaked, but. Maybe we'd flatten out for a while. That wasn't the case. We continue to go higher, and that's going to cause even more of that recessional feel that people are feeling right now. And it's going to impact what they do in terms of where they spend their money, Netflix being one of them. So I have to unfortunately agree with the analyst on this one that it makes sense that he went to a sell and the fact that it's a 186 price target now. Are you selling? I am not selling. No, not right now. I, I, I feel like that's in. I feel like now it's priced in. So, um, you know, I'm underwater for sure, but uh, I'm going to have to navigate that and decide, are they up to the challenge of the competitive landscape that we already had already, but also the, the competitive landscape, given the fact of what we're seeing with this consumer, quote unquote, recession and how much they're going to be able to spend on whatever they would like to do. Are they going to spend on one of the more expensive ones out there? And that being Netflix. All right, Josh, Netflix and Roblox, both for you. Again, both cut to uh, cut to sell today. And in terms of Roblox, which I didn't say that price target goes to 28 from 39. Yeah. I, well, I think I think the analyst is is right on the environment. I think the only debate is, to Pete's point, how much of this does the market already understand? Netflix last quarter lost a net 200,000 subs, which was shocking to the market, and then said they're going to lose another two million in the quarter that we're in. So we are all aware um, this is not I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the value is in cutting a stock that's already fallen 70 percent based on the same information that it's already fallen for. So I'm not really sure what we're doing here. Um, so like Pete, I'm sticking with Netflix. On Roblox, I barely have any left. As I've mentioned before, I've been selling into uh, rallies. The stock went up more than 50% from its low. It was like 20, it went up into the 30s. I took some off. Uh, at this point, I don't have enough to feel it and uh, I really don't care if it goes to zero. Um, I would say though, uh, it'll be interesting. We've never seen this before. We haven't had a recession in a time that consumers had as many subscriptions to media and content as they do today. Like if you think back to the last real recession, not the pandemic, 07 to 09, there was no, there, there really was no business at Netflix streaming. Uh, we were still walking into blockbusters or getting envelopes of DVDs. So we actually don't know how sticky these subscriptions are gonna be through a recession based on any history, it's all conjecture. I'd be curious to see how much uh, the subscribers turn these things off in a true economic downturn. Mm -hmm. um, the market is acting as though the market. Look at Disney under 100 right now. Um, so maybe the most defensible 
of all the streaming plays is uh, Amazon Prime, um, just based on the fact that people aren't cutting their Prime because it's a way to save on costs for other things. Uh, and maybe Netflix is more susceptible than that, but I, I don't know that we can say definitively what's going to happen here. Right. Of course, when this downturn is different than, than many others that we have seen, simply it's fueled in large part by extraordinarily high prices, which lends to Josh's point. I think very well that we just don't know what all of that impact is going to be. All right. Still ahead. Another earnings report. Another big plunge. DocuSign is down more than 20 percent right now. Kevin O'Leary owns it. He's going to join us next to tell all of you what he is doing next. Back after this. Let's talk DocuSign. Those shares sinking, as you probably know by now. After a miss on earnings, analysts also losing confidence as the stock gets hit with multiple downgrades. One investor, though, is not only sticking with it, he is buying more today. You heard me right. He's Kevin O'Leary. He joins us now. Mr. Wonderful, I was very surprised when I heard you were buying more of this. Why? You know, I look at it from the use case. So uh, this just let's let's get the stats after the 24.7 percent decline on, on this print. It was brutal, uh, painful, no question about it. Uh, it's actually down 80 percent from its highs in the pandemic. But the products even more ubiquitous in enterprise and small business than it's ever been. And even today, I've used it four times already. And so that doesn't mean it's a great investment. But if I thought that this was going away, that somehow that this, the use of this was only to do with working at home. Yeah, I might have said, okay, I'll take my losses and move on. But that's not the case. This is an integral part of any enterprise that decides to start using it. Once you acquire a customer, they don't switch to other services very easily because of the database that you maintain for compliance and for records and for tax records. A lot of people have not thought that through. In addition, another point of value, most sovereign nations now, particularly after the Ukraine incident, this horrific war there, have started to wonder, where's the nexus of my data? For example, the Canadian banks have said all DocuSign and all signed electronic documents must be nexus on their soil. The Irish did the same thing. The Swiss did the same thing. In Luxembourg, the same thing. And DocuSign is able to provide those services nexus to the sovereigns. That's not something a startup can do. Now, there are competitors, Adobe being a significant one, and lots of little guys trying to pick it up. But DocuSign is the Kleenex of this space. And my bet in averaging down, and look, I'm in pain, I get it. But it's no different than a lot of these stocks that are taken out behind the woodshed and, and basically shot well, down 80%. That's, but there is a use case for it long term. Well, that's my point. Of course. But you... You're not paying up for what it is now. You're willing to pay up for it as an investor for the perceived growth, which the company obviously says is challenged. I mean, their full year billings guide uh, was horrific. Uh, the company itself, the CEO, was on this network today and said, we have to change our model. Kramer, I think it's a bad stock. The company, he says, Jim Cramer does, refuses to acknowledge that things are not as good as we'd like. They pay lip service to their shareholders. Um, what about all that, Kev? I mean, this is a company that admits itself that it needs to, I don't I, I think I could say fundamentally change. The guy says we need to change our model. You know, every day I have to make bets. And I actually enjoy it when people tell me things are uninvestable. I've been there before. I, the same thing with the Chinese stocks. Everybody hated them. 
just six weeks ago, it's been the best place to be. You have to take bets and you're not going to be right all the time. But I look at the use case of the enterprise of this and I say to myself, it's part of the digital economy I'm betting on. Yes, it's volatile. Yes, it's painful. But, you know, I, I listened to the call, too, and I have to disclose, I was a shareholder in this thing when it was private. I know the management. These people know how to pivot. That's exactly what they're going to have to do. And I don't care, you know, if you're trying to guess, are we going to recession next month or six months? Signing documents is not going away. It's what you're going to pay for the platform. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but this is an 18-month bet. I'm looking for double-digit returns on this over the next year and a half. Okay. Let's see what happens. All right, that's fair. And look, it's, it's in the portfolio. Entirely fair. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's, that's, that's what this game is. Kevin, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that's Kevin O'Leary. Hey, check out this mystery chart. It's up more than 10% in the past three months, outperforming the market as well. And it's a new buy for one of our committee members. We will reveal that. Plus, all of June, we are celebrating Pride Month here at CNBC. Here's James Stewart, the New York Times columnist. When I was coming of age, the conventional wisdom was that half, if not more, of all career fields were closed off to someone who was known to be gay. And I always took the assumption that, you know, well, that may be true, but I'm not going to limit myself. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Be ambitious. Think big. Do not assume that you are going to be cut off from the opportunity simply because you are part of a sexual minority. Showed you a mystery chart before the break. It is Jim Labenthal's new buy, and it is GPC, Genuine Parts. Yes. So auto parts company. And uh, you may recall, Scott, that last week I sold some shares, Dow and PayPal, yep. left me a little cash with which to work. I said I was looking in retail and, you know, maybe we thought I was going to go into Walmart or Target. But the thing about GPC and this particular space is this is a somewhat recession and inflation resistant place. Now, nothing is perfectly uh, recession and inflation resistant. But when you think about people as they are currently going back to work and most of them drive to work, and as you further think about where car prices are, new and used, what this means is that the current fleet of vehicles is going to be used more than it otherwise would have. And that means means parts are going to need to be replaced. They're going to break down. Uh, and that plays right into the hands of GPC. Attractively priced, roughly 17 times this year's earnings, 2.6% dividend yield. Yes, I'm sure people are going to say, and we've already had the discussion, but what about in a recession? You know my position on that. Uh, just to be clear, as you look into 2023, there's a lot of construction going on in this country. You're going to need cars to get people to work. You're going to need trucks to do all that construction. GPC should be very good for that scenario. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Up next, we have Pete's latest unusual activity trades. We're back in two minutes. Here's a tip for your money, your future. Holding on to some cash is critical in a market downturn. Yet a recent poll by Morning Consult finds only 37% of boomers say they've made progress in creating an emergency fund. Financial advisors recommend keeping sufficient cash reserves in a savings account that is separate from your investments. That way, you don't have to tap into equities or other long-term assets if you need money and can avoid locking in losses when stocks slide. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, Pete, unusual activity. Tell us what you see today, please. All right. I got an interesting one here, Scott, because we're looking at Delta. Now, the stock got hit pretty early today. The stock has gone a little bit lower than when we bought these calls, but it was about 20 cents, so it's not that far away. Stock was trading just underneath that 36 level. We had a buyer of 20,000 of the July 38 calls. Those were going for about a buck 35. 
they were getting hedged by selling the upside call, the 41 call. So I like seeing that in this kind of a market, Scott, because with the implied volatilities rising, you're paying a little bit more. But if you're going to sell something against it, you're getting a little bit more for that one as well. Takes away a little bit of the pain. The next one I've got is Academy Sports Outdoors. It's interesting because this is also the July 38 call. Stock was trading a little over 36, 36.60. We had a buyer of 3,000 of the July 38 calls. They were going for about two bucks. And again, this was a spread. So they're selling the upside 45s to kind of take away some of that pain. I wanted to add one last thing, Scott. We talked about this at the top of the show, the spider put buying. We had 30,000 of the July 377 puts. We had 100,000 of the June 345 puts. We also have 18,000 of the July 22nd expiring 385 puts. So they're just continuing to come after those puts in the spider. Makes you think that this might not be over just yet because there's a lot of buying going on out there. All right, good stuff. I appreciate that, Pete. Thank you. We'll take another quick break. We'll come back and we'll finish up with final trades. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Or do we have a big show coming up in overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern time today? We have Tom Lee coming back on. He's made the argument that we have peak inflation. The CPI says otherwise, which is why I wanted Tom to come back on to defend his call and see if he's changing his mind, given what we got today and what may lie ahead. Anthony Pompliano, Pomp, better known uh, to some, he's coming on. Why? Because he was tweeting about inflation today. What's to blame? We're going to ask him about that. His Bitcoin holdings as well are going to be top of mind. Kevin Simpson always comes to play with some big ideas, covered calls, the like. Malcolm Etheridge will be with us, Low Tony. So we have a big lineup. I'll see you in three hours, and I look very much forward to that. Let's talk about a big call on semis before we get to final trades today. It's Morgan Stanley adding 2023 headwinds to models. They cut targets on several stocks. Analog devices, NXP on semi, Texas Instruments, Marvell, Brenda, I go to you. You own NVIDIA and Intel, which you say is under review. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to get these calls out there and make sure everyone understands exactly the underlying trends that are happening. And I think if we look at the end markets for a lot of different parts of the semiconductor industry, they were absolutely beneficiaries of the pandemic environment. And so we're starting to see signs that there is some excess inventory in certain areas like PC, but also know that in some areas um, like data center, um, that we're likely to still see strong trends. So this is going to be a group that I think is going to be a little bit tough to navigate here um, over the next couple of years, potentially. Even though semiconductors are used in everything, they're still subject to the same the same um, uh, challenges that we're seeing mm-hmm. elsewhere from other companies that benefited from the pandemic. Pete, give me 30 seconds on this. You have Marvell, which got the price target cut to 62 from 68. Of course, NVIDIA, uh, Intel, Micron, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, I've got plenty of exposure there. I yeah. think the most, the one that I'm watching the closest is the one that I bought most recently, which is NVIDIA. The other ones, I've just been selling calls forever against it. And NVIDIA, I also had sold calls. I'm looking to start rolling those, Scott. The premiums were unbelievable. I got $10 for an upside call. Now it's trading about two. So I'm thinking about buying those back and then rolling out. So that's, I continue to like that company. Their free cash flow is unbelievable. And it's trading finally at a PE that's palatable. So NVIDIA, um, I definitely love that stock still. Okay, give me a final trade if you could, Pete, while I have you. 
I'm going to give you Colgate. Saw some upside buying, and it's almost in positive territory. Like seeing that on a day like today. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Brenda. Yeah. Um, CVS. So I think this company is really well positioned to benefit from a shift to more value-based care, which we think is certainly an important trend within healthcare. Okay. Josh Brown. Uh, IEO, the only bull market left in the market is utilities and energy. Thank you. My man right here, Farmer Jim. Uh, Raytheon Technologies, uh, defense spending is not going down anytime soon. Okay, good stuff. Thank you as well. Uh, I'll show you the markets here uh, before we go. Take a look. Dow's down by more than 800 right now. It's about 2.5%. S&P still barely hanging on to 3,900. And there's a NASDAQ down 400 points. I'll see you in a few hours. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.